When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin. For they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Amen. You may be seated. There are two verses in this narrative of Joseph's life two particular directions at least to initiate that I want to start off with. And I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 45 and remember what Joseph says to his brothers who had sold him into slavery or into Egypt I should say. And yet he ends up on the victorious side of the equation. Joseph says to his brothers in verse 5 of chapter 45, do not grieve or be angry with yourself because you sold me here in Egypt. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And listen to what he says. He says in verse 8, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me the father to Pharaoh. But if you look back in verse 7, he says something even more interesting. He says, God sent me before you to preserve you. And here's the next line, and to keep you alive. Then in chapter 50, he makes this comment. Verse 19, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Then he says, for what you meant evil against me, God meant it for the good. In order, Murphy translation, that we might have this present moment that we have, which is the reason why you are alive. Because you tried to hurt me, but God blessed me. 
So I call this sermon, It Should Have Been But. In the field of theology, there are two particulars working that God is expressing in his character. The first we would call the providential will of God. That just simply means that God in this entire episode from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis chapter 50 not only already knew how this moment was going to play out but God has his hand in the entire journey of Joseph. God knew that Pharaoh's dream to which Joseph would eventually interpret would mean seven years of plenty <clears throat> and seven years of famine. When we get to Genesis chapter 45, they have already entered into two years of famine. God already knew that he was going to use Joseph to not only interpret the dream, but to win the heart of Pharaoh to appoint Joseph as prime minister to make sure that grain during the years of plenty would be preserved so that when the famine come, the city would not perish, but folk would have a resource to go to to survive in the famine. God already knew. In fact, God knew so well that God's hand was already orchestrating how he would preserve the promise he had made to Jacob at the beginning of his journey. Remember, Jacob is a part of the trio, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob would be the father to, the, to bring forth the 12 sons of himself who would be his descendants. He, in return, would use Jacob, an additional usage of Joseph, to preserve the promise that they would inherit a land that he had made promise all the way back to Genesis 12 to Abraham. God's hand is all over this narrative. In fact, God is so good that I would argue that Joseph probably did not see it initially. But because Joseph has come through a great deal of trepidation and difficulty, Joseph, when he finally does, revealed his identity to his brothers because the famine has so affected his family back in Canaan that they had to come to Egypt to find grain to help the family survive. What they didn't know that the same brother to which they had sold to a traveling Ishmaelite merchant who ended up later selling Joseph to Potiphar who is in charge of Pharaoh's security what they didn't know that God would use this same person that they sold initially who had such a big dream that they couldn't handle it with their jealousy. So they took and pitched Joseph in a pit 
and they sold him to the traveling merchant. And when we read this story, we would feel how awful it was that Joseph ends up in the pit, ends up being sold to the merchant and then being sold to Potiphar and then being elevated because once again, God's hand is in the midst of Joseph's life because an Egyptian leader sees in the life of Joseph and he says a strange thing. The Bible says in chapter 39 of Genesis that Potiphar said, I see that the Lord is with Joseph and that everything Joseph puts his hands to, it prospers. And as a result, I need Joseph to be over my household. And Joseph ends up being over the household of Potiphar. And you remember that Potiphar's wife caused contention in Joseph's promotion from the pit. She wants to engage in sexual relations with Joseph and Joseph tries to escape. And Joseph says to his wife, Potiphar's wife, that I would dare not violate the trust that my Lord has in me, Potiphar, who entrusted everything to me of his household but you. And then he says, more importantly, even though I respect and honor Potiphar, I serve a God who has been gracious to me and who has given me an integrity that I must maintain. And then I recognize that if I would compromise what God has given me, I would be on the losing side of this equation. The story says that as she begins to once again invite Joseph, Joseph runs and in his running, she reaches and catches his cloak and she holds it and once Joseph clears the ground, she calls in the servants and says, look, the Hebrew that my husband has brought attempted to take advantage of me. I have his cloak. And once she got the support of the soldiers who works in the household, Mr. Potiphar would come home and she would share the story with him. In sharing the story, he ends up believing his wife and sentenced Joseph to prison. Joseph gets in prison but then when you start reading Genesis chapter 41 and 42, there's an incredible phrase that I think gave Joseph quite much inspiration. Throughout the chapters, there's a little line that says, even though Joseph is in prison, but the Lord is with Joseph. He reasserts himself to reassure Joseph that it hasn't gone your way. In fact, it's been an awful journey but I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the Lord is with Joseph. He spends his prophetic time interpreting dreams for the baker and the butler. He tells one, you're going to be restored to your position, but he tells the other, you don't have much longer to live. When they shared their dream, they recognized that it came to fruition. And when the butler was restored back to his place of serving with Pharaoh, Joseph said, I only have one request. Please remember me when you go to Pharaoh. You read the text, it says, and Joseph, after two years, is in prison 
interpreting dreams. But even God is with him and God is blessing him because even in prison, he is promoted to be over the prison. I'm trying to get you to see how God's hand is in the midst of Joseph's life. Joseph is recognized when Pharaoh has a dream and he can't interpret it. Neither his musicians or anyone else in his cabinet has the ability to do so. And he shares with the butler and the butler says, oh, I remember a Hebrew who interpreted my dream. He can give you an answer to your problem. But remember, that's two years ago. The butler had forgotten what Joseph had done for him and finally God had brought to the memory of the butler through the prophetic of Joseph, Joseph can interpret Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh shares his dream with Joseph, brings Joseph to the cabin and says, listen, here's my problem. I have seven fatted cows and then I have seven weak cows. And the weak cows gobbles up the strong cows, the fatted cows. And then I have seven ears of strong corn and seven ears of weak corn and the weak corn consume the strong corn. And Joseph said, here's the interpretation of your dream. You're going to have seven years of plenty and then you're going to have seven years of famine. And the way you combat this is you take someone and place them over preserving the grain in the years of plenty so that when the famine come, we will still have grain for the people. Pharaoh says, well, who better to do that than you since you interpret the dream? He places Joseph over the grain. The seven years of plenty Joseph stores up and then two years into the famine, the brothers have got to come to town. God's hand is in the midst of this. Watch this. What they were not aware of, that you have to be careful about how you treat people. You have to be very careful about how you build bridges and then burn those bridges. It would have never dawned on them years ago that when Joseph was a young boy and sharing with them the dream that God had given them that they would, he would be on top and they would be on the bottom. He would be the head and they would be the tail. He would be the one that would be out in front and their descendants would serve him. They never dreamed that that dream would actually come to pass. In fact, they became so annoyed, Genesis 37, about Joseph's dream, says the Bible, that when Joseph came back from after being sent out by his father and gave a bad report on them, and then he gave them his dream, they began to plot and decide how they were going to get rid of Joseph. And finally, as the story escalates, they are in Dotham, and Jacob sends Joseph to go check on them, see what's going on, and they're in Dothan having the, feet, the sheep fed. And when they get there, some of the brothers see him from a distance and they said ah oh, here comes the dreamer 
It's a bit of sarcasm that they might say, now is our time to handle him and to get rid of him and to get him out of our lives. He says that we're going to serve him and that's not going to happen today. In fact, let's grab him and kill him. And Reuben says, oh no, don't, don't kill him. Don't bring death to the household. If anything, let's just take him and throw him down in the pit. They had no clue that the hands that they threw into the pit would be the hands that would rescue them from their poverty. They had no idea what God was doing in the process. And at each stage of Joseph's life in the pit, in Potiphar's house, palace, even in prison, and then up to Pharaoh's palace, Joseph should have threw in the towel. Joseph should have said in the pit that once his brothers took him and threw him in there, he should have said, this is it, God. I can't handle it. Your vision for my life just doesn't seem to be coming to pass. In fact, I'm in a space that I never dreamed. You told me I'd be on top of the ground, not beneath the ground, and I can't handle this any longer. I am going to throw in the towel, but Joseph doesn't do that. In fact, Joseph takes the pit and turned it into his own sanctuary. And we should be able to parallel ourselves with that because there have been times, and you may even be there now, when your family, now remember this, Joseph shares his vision with his brothers and then his father, and both of them turn their back and say, there's no way in the world this is going to happen. Do we know how it feels to have your family reject you and your friends reject you and your co-workers throw you under the bus and folk trying to connive to cut you out and to get you terminated and even to terminate you any way that they possibly can? They find everything they can to be critical of and they throw us in what I call a pit and that pit can be where nobody wants to talk to you, nobody wants to be around you, nobody wants you on the team, nobody wants to have you a part of the project, nobody wants to be connected to you at all and make you feel ostracized and alone as Joseph was in the pit. Yet, that's where God wanted Joseph. And it may be where God desires to have you at right now for a few reasons. One, some argue, some scholars argue that as Joseph shares his dream, you can almost sense a bit of arrogance in Joseph's sharing of the dream. <laughs> Y'all going to serve me. I'm going to be the top dog of this family. And maybe God says, hold on, let me, let me slow your roll. And he causes anger and jealousy to rise up in the brothers. And they put Joseph in the pit. And God says, in the pit, there's a couple of things that will happen. Number one, I got your full attention. Because in the pit, when you look to the left or to the right, up or down, nobody else is in there but you. And God says, I need your attention because God says, while you are in the pit, watch me show you how to regain your strength. See, it could have went the other way. 
I could have fixed it where wild animals could have permitted wild animals who came about the top of the pit who could have jumped in and devoured you. But I'm convinced that God kept angels all around Joseph. And is there somebody who can remember how you've been in your pit of life and God protected you from going insane and from losing your composure. And when they thought they would relegate you to a dark spot, God gave you strength in the midst of what appears to be a pit context where there was nobody there but you. But yet God says, I got your full attention. And when you never prayed before, you started praying when you got down into that pit. Because now God says, I have your full attention to call on my name. And haven't you noticed? whenever God puts you in a space where there's nobody else to call on no other help to reside in nobody else to stretch out to but God you have a way of calling on God's name he gives him strength in that pit but I'm convinced he gives them a song he gives them a song that gets his spirit going because when he's in that pit all by himself he wants to have church but ain't no choir no musicians, no preacher, no deacon, no associate ministers, no trustees, no ushers, nobody. Just you and God. But how many of you know that's the best time to really have worship? When it's just me and the Father. There's nobody there when I start getting happy to tell me it don't take all that. There's nobody there to tell me, why don't you sit down and calm down? There's nobody there to tell me that my song is too long or that my sermon is too long or that my prayer is too long. When it's just me and God, God gives me a song that I just can't stop singing because it helps me encourage myself even though I'm in a pit. Because God says, even though you're in a pit, it could have went another way. But I intervene because I got something else greater in store for you. Are y'all listening to me today? Do you hear what I'm saying? He gives them strength. He gives them a song. And he gives them salvation. The brothers would have never thought that selling Joseph to the traveling Ishmaelite merchant would be Joseph's means of experiencing salvation from God. See, salvation means to be rescued. And I don't know about you, but however God decides to rescue me, whether it's somebody that I know, somebody I don't know, somebody I like, somebody I don't like, it doesn't matter to me. If it gets me out of the pit and it's God's provision to bring me salvation, I'm all for it. And God sometimes uses strange people and strange conditions, persons that I never would have ever expected to help me out in a dark moment. But remember, God's got his hand in this situation. And they're selling him to the Ishmaelite merchant. In their minds, this it. It's, we won't have to worry about Joseph no more. He and his dream is gone now. But you just don't know because God's got his hands. See, God knew that the merchants would likewise sell Joseph to Potiphar. 
because if you can hang out in the pit and wait on the Lord and be of good courage, God will bring you promotion in due season. He moves Joseph from the pit to the palace of Potiphar. In fact, when Potiphar sees what Joseph does, he says, I want this man to run my household because the Lord is with Joseph. And everything he touches prospers. And because he is the way he is, I want him in my house. And Potiphar's wife through a monkey wrench in everything. But Joseph also shows us that when you are in the pit, God can give you strength, can give you a song, can give you salvation. But when you are in the palace, God has a way of preserving you still as well. Because God uses what I call preventive perseverance to keep Joseph from falling to the prey of Mrs. Potiphar. Joseph said, because of who I'm serving and because of the God that I serve, I am not going to risk my relationship with the Lord because of how God has blessed and kept me. So what I'm going to do, I'd rather leave. I'd rather give up what you're offering, a temporary moment of pleasure and end up losing an eternal glorious reward. Joseph said, I'll give it up. And he gives it up. But in the palace, God teaches Joseph some very valuable lessons. He teaches him according to Genesis 39. He gives him power to resist. And I don't know about you, but when God promotes you, God has to give you that power to resist because when Satan recognizes that he couldn't kill you in the pit, he shows up in the palace to try to find a way to destroy you as well. And you need the power of God, says James, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Now what that really means in the Greek is, listen, you've got to fight to get him out of your presence. In other words, just speaking something may not move him. You've got to put on the whole armor of God and you've got to put up a fight to preserve yourself because as God has blessed you, don't throw away your integrity just because folk won't hang around you because you have standards. In fact, if people really want to be in your life, don't lower your standards. If they really want to be where you are, they will bring themselves up to where your standards are. But don't lower your standards. And Mrs. Potiphar was trying to get Joseph to lower his standards. And Joseph said, it ain't happening. It's not happening because God's going to give me power to resist. And then God's going to give me the power to retrieve. And ain't nothing wrong with running away from trouble. I know, I know it's not the manly thing to do, but it is to me if it gives you another day of journey. I'll run in a heartbeat. If it preserves me, I'll run. And Joseph ran. But Joseph's story turned to the worst, and you know he ends up being in jail. But God's got another plan. Even in the jail, Joseph is reflecting. God gives him the power to resist, gives him the power to retrieve, but he gives him the power also to reflect. As he's in the palace, he's now has been reduced to the prison, 
because now Pharaoh has a need. I'm telling you, God's hand is in all of this. God knew no one else could interpret that dream instead of Joseph, so he lets Joseph be put into prison because that's where I need you at, Joseph, to answer the prayer that you have to the dream I gave you in Genesis chapter 37. What does Pharaoh have to do with me having my dream fulfilled? Never underestimate who God uses to bring the fulfillment to your dream. The brothers are still on the outskirts. They are still in Canaan. When God elevates Joseph through the work of Pharaoh in interpreting his dream, he is now Pharaoh's right-hand man. When the famine engages, the brothers have to come to town. Look what God does. When God is in the midst and God's got his hand in his providential hand, all through this process in the pit and the palace and back to the pit or back to the prison and then back to the palace again, then God exercised what we call the permissive will of God. That's where God says, you know what? Joseph won't understand. And centuries later, the readers won't understand. But I'm going to permit Joseph to go to the pit, to go to Potiphar's house, to be put in jail again. Because don't nobody else know what they meant for evil. I'm going to reverse it for the good. When Joseph is elevated, when the famine begins, the brothers have no idea they've got to go to Egypt. And when they come to Egypt, they come with money to buy and they are introduced to Joseph and they don't even know who Joseph is. Because when God is working in the midst of your life, and here's what I told him this morning, I'll tell you, don't try to retaliate to your haters. Just let them do what they do and let God handle that because God has so blessed Joseph that when they looked at Joseph's countenance, they didn't even know who he was. This is your blood brother. How do you not know who your brother is? They didn't know who he was. And Joseph says, I know, I know who you are, but I won't tell him right now. He tells his servants to give them what they want, hook them up. And then he says, where are you coming from? We're coming from Canaan. Uh, who's your family? We have a father back there and our younger brother. We had another brother, but he's dead. <laughs> Can you imagine that? We got another brother, but he's dead. No, he's standing right there looking at you in your face, but he's dead. And Joseph says, oh, No, I think y'all a little slick. I think y'all here trying to steal some stuff. No, no, Lord, we're not here to steal anything. We came to buy uh, grain because we are suffering from the famine. And if we don't, our father will die. Who, who's your father? Jacob. He's back home. He's gravely ill as well. But he's there with our younger brother, Benjamin. Joseph says, Benjamin. Benjamin. Mama died giving birth to me and my brother Benjamin, I haven't seen him in a long time, Benjamin. Now nah, y'all jokers trying to screw me, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're not going to do it, uh-uh. No, no, we're not. Tell you what, go back and get your father and bring him back to town. Let's talk from that point. They go back and tell Jacob what has happened and they say, Jacob, in fact, he says, go back and get your father. But I tell you what, bring your younger brother back as well. 
They go back and tell Jacob, Jacob said, Jacob, we got to bring Benjamin back because he said he, he, he knows, oh, I've got to tell you, he kept Simeon behind. He kept Simeon behind. He told him that you go back and get Benjamin. And then he gets back. The brothers get back and says, Jacob, they got Simeon. And Jacob says, and now they want Benjamin also? I'm going to die if they take my boy because you know my other son, Joseph, is dead. And I need Benjamin because he's the one that God gave me out of my old age. I'm coming to a close, church. Watch this. God's hand is in the midst. They come back with Benjamin. And when Joseph sees him, he breaks down. But he's not convinced yet that they are real with him. He puts a silver cup in the pouch of their donkey. And all the money that they paid for grain, he gives it back. And he gives back more. They don't know it. But he sets them up. When they get halfway out of town, he sends the guard to check the bag again. When they check the bag, they found the silver cup from the king's court. They found all the money that, jo that they had paid to Joseph, uh, and that money was even more. And the officer said, y'all trying to cheat the king. The popo coming to get you. Come on back to town. <laughs> they bring him back to town. And Joseph looks at them. Read chapter 45. I'm fast forwarding. And Joseph tells them, come closer. Come closer. Look at me in my eyes. Remember the pit? Don't you know who I am? I'm Joseph. Can you imagine the brothers looking at one another like, he tripping. This ain't Joseph. We got rid of Joseph when we sold him to the Ishmaelite merchant, this can't be Joseph. Joseph says, come closer. I'm your brother, Joseph. And the Bible says he wept real loud, so loud that not only did the house of Egypt heard him, but Pharaoh heard him. And he said, clear the room. I want anybody in here but me and my brothers. And when he told them who he was, they sunk to the ground. Because when you do wrong and don't seek forgiveness and you come back and try to meet the person again, you just don't know what's going to happen. See, the same thing happened to Esau and Jacob. Remember what happened when Jacob stole Esau's birthright? When Jacob's mother, I mean, when, uh, yeah, Jacob's mother heard, when she heard Rachel talk about how uh, uh, Esau was plotting to pay uh, Jacob back once his father Isaac died and his mother told him that look you listen to me you listen to me very good you get yourself together and get out of this town as quick as possible when your brother Esau when your daddy shuts his eyes Esau is going to go mad and he's going to kill you and Esau goes away and Jacob goes away but later Jacob says I've got to go back and see Esau in fact I'm so scared to meet Esau that I'm going to send a delegate ahead to see how he is and when he gets there Esau says, what's all this, man? Why you sit all these people? I come to see you. And Jacob says, man, I was afraid you might pay me back for the wrong that I did to you. And Esau says, man, I'm not even worried about that. 
Look behind me and see how I've been blessed of God. I ain't interested in trying to pay you back for the wrong that you've done because when God blesses me, I don't have time to pay back folk who've done me wrong. In fact, I'm here to bless you, says Esau. And Joseph says that his brothers looked at him and they became fearful. And Joseph said, don't get, don't get afraid. God's hand was in all this. How do you know that? Oh, it should have went the other way. It, it should have went a whole other way, which y'all did. But God intervened. And here's what God did. God purposely allowed in this famine to put me in this position to preserve a remnant that I might keep you alive. Be careful how you treat people because the same people that you see going up the ladder you very well will meet them again on your way down. They didn't know that the same hand that once held the cup is now holding the cup of provision for them. Jo Joseph said, God put me here. I'm, I'm here. I was ordained to be here ahead of time. You were just a part of God's plan. And I just came to tell somebody today, the pit may be an awful place, but let God strengthen you. Let God give you a song and let God bring you your salvation the way that God desires to do so. And when he promotes you, don't worry about it, but be careful because there's always an evil presence seeking whom it may devour, trying to cause you trouble. But stay strong because God will give you the power to resist and the power to retrieve and the power to reflect. And I think Joseph reflect on how good God has been after all that he's been through God had given him so much. But then he's back into Pharaoh's court. And God gave him grace. And here go Joseph. Man, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to hurt you because God put me. And you got to read this verbiage in verse 8 of chapter 45 of Genesis very slowly to catch it. Listen to what he says. God made me the father to Pharaoh. You didn't, you didn't catch that. God made me the father to Pharaoh. In other words, Pharaoh looks at me. In fact, Pharaoh even gave me his daughter in marriage. Pharaoh gave me a chariot right beside his. And the ring that I have on my finger, this is because Pharaoh gave me. In fact, all I had to do is hold up my ring, and my ring got just as much power as Pharaoh has instilled in it. God made me the father to Pharaoh and the Lord over all of his household. And do you think I'm going to pay you back for the petty stuff you've done? Because this story is about two things. Number one, when God's providential hand is in the mix of working things out for your good, the only thing you need to do is cooperate. Don't try to contrive and try to go ahead of God. You just cooperate with what God is doing. And whatever you do, please keep your mouth Because God is working. God is like a tapster whose tapestry is working all things together for the. He's weaving everything together. And when he finishes, it don't look good on that side. 
but on this side. Because some of you are some witnesses today. When you were in the pit, it just didn't look great. But now that you've gotten out of the pit, you now know what it means to have, have walked through the pit. You know what it means to be up and you've had a challenge and yet you've, you face the enemy face to face. You know what it means to be in your own prison. And yet when God brings you out, it's a different story. <clears throat> so the text says that Joseph said, I ain't here to hurt you. God, God made it perfect and clear that I was going to be here because what you meant for evil. And there's some folk who want to hurt you. They want to destroy you. They are upset because of how God has promoted you. They can't figure out how you got to where you are because you don't deserve it, nor are you prepared for it. Don't hate the player, hate the game. That's God's way of working. That's what's called favor. And that's what Joseph got from Potiphar. He got that from Pharaoh. Favor is not fair, but somebody got to get it. And I don't know about you, but I want all the favor I can find. I'm done. The story is told in the furlough of a young lady out of Mississippi. 